Hey, it's Michael, and this is the Kintsugi Podcast. I'll be back in a minute with this week's conversation about resilience. But first, if you wish to create a better life and have a better career, then please visit michaelobrienshift.com and download your free workbook on how to create a better life. In it, you'll discover ways to find more energy for the things and the people who matter most to you so you can create a better tomorrow. there, it's Michael. Welcome back or welcome to the Kintsugi Podcast. It's time for another conversation about resilience. And one beautiful way to build resilience is through love. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. That and being heard and being seen with a very special guest, Daniel Levin or Danny Levin. I first heard his voice on Clubhouse and he just brought me in. I hung on every word and I learned about his book, The Mosaic which I highly recommend we talk about it because there's a beautiful passage about Kintsugi in the mosaic. So cool, absolutely so cool. If you get, or when you get the mosaic, I recommend you get it in the audible version because Danny reads the book to you. You'll understand why once you hear his voice, if you're new to Danny. And he has this beautiful mixture of knowing business. He worked at Hay House for a bit, He also was a monk for a bit. So he has this business savvy and spiritual savvy rolled up into one beautiful human. As they say in New York, Danny's a mensch. And I think you're going to agree. Actually, I know you're going to agree. So I invite you to get cozy, grab your tea, grab your coffee, whatever you do to get your podcast on. Sit back and listen to a beautiful human being looking to rip a little bit more love and let people know that they're heard and they're seen. And I'll be back after my conversation with Danny. Danny, good to see you. So good to see you. I've been waiting for this. The moment we met, I loved you. So I just have been waiting for this opportunity to be together with you and do this. Same here. I think there are so many wonderful benefits for the audience listening Danny and I met through Clubhouse, and there was something, well, there's something about what you share, always, something about your voice. And so it's it's with great honor, I'm very grateful to have you on the Kintsugi podcast. So um, we'll get a couple questions out of the way, and then we're just going to have, it's going to be two guys talking about love and life and all, all that good stuff. So I always love to ask, how do you define resilience? Great question. For me, resilience is a couple of things. It's the memory of how things used to be. It's the memory of what you know you're capable of doing, no matter how many times you fall, no matter how many times you stumble. In the mosaic, the book I wrote, I talk about no matter how many potholes you go into and think that the pothole has become your reality, resilience is remembering that it's the road that drove you you there that was glorious and beautiful. It's the road two millimeters on the other side of the pothole that is even more magnificent. And so resilience then is a memory of what is, what has always been, not a memory of what was, but a memory of what's always, always been. 
and what will always be. And then the courage to just stand up and do it. I love that answer. Oh, I love that answer. Do you know the poem and autobiography in five short chapters? No. So it's a really good one. So it references potholes. So sort of goes like this, chapter one. Um, I was walking down the street. I fell into a hole. I got upset. It's someone else's fault. So uh, chapter two, I walked down the same street. I was aware of the hole, but still fell in. I can't believe I still fell in, upset about external factors. Third chapter, and of course, I'm paraphrasing here. It goes a little bit more in depth. Third, uh, third chapter, walked down the same street, aware of the hole, fell in, but now take personal responsibility. Fourth chapter, walked down the same street, aware of the hole, avoid the hole. Chapter five, I walked down a different street. Hmm. So, yeah. um, you know, it's a, it's a cute, it's cute and, short, but um, when you talked about potholes and remembering, I just love love that answer. All right. People are going to be really curious. They've probably already checked you out maybe on your website. So wherever you want to pick up your story, tell us about yourself because it's a beautiful journey. And I always let my guests start wherever you want to start and just share with us, how did you arrive at this very moment. I've had a really beautiful opportunity to live a life that most people don't get to live. That doesn't mean it's been privileged. That doesn't mean it's been terrible. That means it's been a, it's been a mosaic of both of those things. I've been amongst the richest people in the world. Yes. I've sat at their dining room tables. I've played with their kids on the floor. They've been kind enough to ask me my counsel on certain things and even kinder to give me their counsel. I've learned so much from those people. I've also been lucky enough to sit on street corners with some of the poorest people the world's ever known. Yes. I've walked beside them in India. I've met their families. Maybe not their birth families, but the families of people that they travel with. We've shared meals together. Sometimes it was just the loaf of bread and the cheese and the bottle of wine that I brought them or whatever drink we brought. And we sat together as family and spoke. I've been lucky enough for them to give me counsel and for them sometimes to ask my counsel. That's perfect. And I didn't sit with each one, not a part of each one. Yes. I sat with each one because I was a part of each one. I was, I was the same as them at the point at that point. Yeah. Sitting with such diversity, but such commonality. What, what have you learned about humanity? sitting with the wealthiest among us and the poorest among us. What have you learned about the human experience? It's really so simple. And we, we want to divide us, ourselves up by what church we belong to or what country border we live behind, how much money we make or don't make, what color our skin is, what religion we practice. But one of the things that I realized is every single person that I've met, no matter what division the world wants to put them behind, wants the same three things. They want to be loved and accepted. They want to be listened to and heard. And they want to be acknowledged and validated. And Michael, here's here's what the mosaic has given me through that simple practice. Because that's really what happened in the book. Mo lost his parents. He went out to find what the purpose of life was. 
and he sat with different people. But he didn't sit, sit with the CEOs or the religious leaders or the, or, or the people that led the countries. He sat with the road worker and the homeless man, the street artist and the blind woman, the trash man and the gardener. And he watched his preconceived notions of them change as he allowed them to tell him their story. And what he realized is when he loved and accepted them, and listened to them and heard them and acknowledged and validated them. They felt safe enough to actually be themselves, to let down these walls that protect us. And here's the interesting thing I've only discovered from that process in the last three to six months. I have a really interesting relationship with my creator. I yell at him sometimes and I walk arm in arm with him. This time I was yelling at him. I said, why are the hell are you? Why aren't you showing up? Why aren't you here? These people are asking you for, for things. Why do you remain quiet? I know I have a daughter. When she asks me for something, I may not be able to give it to her. It might not be the right thing, but I'm going to tell her, sweetheart, I can't give that to you because it's not right for you. I want you to get some, I'll give you something else, or I want you to see that you have to earn it. You have to do this, this, and this to have it. But don't remain just quiet. How can you do that? And the response of my beloved to me was, Danny, you don't know this, but everything that they've asked for that's good for them is I've delivered. It's right on the other side of the wall that they've put up to protect themselves. I want you to help them take those walls down. Because what will happen when you help them take those walls down, everything they want will come flooding to them. Miracles will start to happen in their life. I saw the miracles happen, but I didn't understand the way it was. It's very orchestrated. Most of the things we ask for are just waiting for us to have it. God isn't silent. Yeah. We've just blocked the access. We've just walled ourselves up. Yeah. Let's talk about listening. When did you realize that was so essential to your life, um, to the human experience, was there a point in your journey where you realized that that's, that was key? Because one could submit that out of the three that you just referenced, you know, feeling loved, being listened to, being acknowledged, it all starts with listening. You know, first through listening, you can feel acknowledged through acknowledgement, you can feel love. So when was it for you where that light bulb went out to say, we just, what we thirst for is to be heard. Somewhere along the line, this crazy relationship I have with my beloved, I heard that voice come to me and say, it's, we need you to do something now. We want to ask you to listen to people and hear people. And I said, you must be really low down on the totem pole because I talk a lot. I'm a talker. And they said, okay, you're right. We want you to also learn how to do it a little bit more. But here's the most essential thing that you don't realize. The reason why we're choosing you to do this is because when you talk to people, you allow their mind to get occupied. Your stories are interesting enough that their mind follows you, they listen to you, they engage with you in the dialogue, and their mind gets occupied in the stories that you tell. Danny, fear lives in the mind. So if the mind is occupied, fear is just there listening and engaged in your stories. Now what we're gonna ask you to do 
is once fear is occupied up there in the noise of your words, in the quiet of your listening, go into their heart, go into their soul and see if you can hear what their heart and soul is saying. Because so often the words that we say are not the words of our heart and soul. No. They're occupied in the fear. The words are, are filled with the fear. I just got off a phone call with someone who said, I heard you on a podcast. I absolutely want to work with you. I think you're the one that will help me. You'll be able to do this. And I said, oh, okay, that's great. I don't know that I'm working with people that much anymore, but I'm happy to do that. Tell me what's going on. And she said, I absolutely want to do this. And so she said, what are the dynamics of it? And I said, these are the dynamics of it. She said, oh, I don't, I don't know that I can do that. I said, well, what did you think you can do? What she said back to me, what she could do was like inches away from what I said. Mm -hmm. And so I, so I said, so let me understand something. You know that you had this instinct that it's really right for you to work with me. I didn't ask you to work with me. I, I, I told you I don't even know if I will work with you, right? But then you allowed your mind and your fear to take over because you're scared to death because you've told me for 30 years I've been digging this rut that I've been in and you're telling me now I can get out really easily? I don't know that I believe you. I said, I know, that's perfect. Let's play together and see. We'll know quick if I'm right or wrong. Oh, without a doubt. And so if I'm wrong, throw me out. I'll even refund your money to you. Now, why are you scared? And she said, God, I don't know. It's just mm. this overplay of my mind. And what I want people to realize is it's so easy I remember being at Hay House and I, I brought Wayne Dyer to Hay House. Yeah. And over the course of time, we would sit together so many times and we would have lunch together. And I remember the first time he discovered what he became really well known for. And he looked at me and he said, Danny, when we change the way we see the world, the world we see actually changes. Yes, it does. And I said, Dwayne, that is beautiful, man. And then he said it over and over. And I said, okay, I know I get the story, Wayne. You told me that a thousand times. But that became sort of one of his models of what he did. And another one that he said is when you, we, we think when we see it, we'll believe it. What I really want to tell you is when you believe it, you'll see it. Absolutely. And so those changes of perspective are so beautifully simple, but we don't change perspective. We think the way we see the world is the way the world is. The way we see the world is just that. It's the way we see the world. It's not necessarily the way the world is. Absolutely. When you think about your knowledge and you wrote the mosaic and the, the power of love, the power of listening, and I'm not sure when you actually came onto the Clubhouse app, I'm not sure what date that was. I think it was in January, end of January. So 2021, knowing that every social media platform has uh, a filter to it as far as like who comes. And obviously in the beginning days, it was just people who had Apple devices. But on the app, you have people who love to talk. And I also think you have people who are des desperate to be heard. So has your thinking around just the importance of listening, has it changed at all since you've been on the app? Because I know you do some rooms where it's all about listening and yeah, totally. your message of love. So I, I didn't know if your experience on the app has has intensified your like almost doubled down on acknowledgement, love and listening, or has it changed it in any way? I'm just curious about that. Way double down. 
When we came on, we told people that we were going to have a room where silence was as important to us as words. And we got left at people said, oh, come on, this is, you can't see people here. The only thing we get is words. So you're, going, you're literally going to tell me that you're going to have, you're going to make it so that people can't speak or, or people, people, words will be, you, you, there will be quiet and we're in between words. And I said, yeah, because here's what happens. The beauty of this app at Clubhouse is that if you want to speak and you're in this room, you have to listen to everybody if they do the pull to refresh style. You have to listen to everybody before you. You have to listen to it. You can occupy yourself doing other stuff and make pretend you're not. But why won't you take the opportunity to listen in an app that makes you want to listen? So if people already have that ability to listen to, to for their turn, we're not going to do turns like that. We're going to do popcorn style. We're going to just let people talk whenever they want. But after people finish... In so many rooms, people are right in. I want to say this. I want to say this. Can I say this? I want to answer back. And, I, and they're fighting each other. And I'll say, hold, 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 hold on a minute here. In our room, we want to just take a few moments to let that absorb. You're more than welcome to speak whenever you want to. But let's first hear what the person said. Let's just, let's just listen to what, what's, what they did. And then respond to what they've said. Take a moment and just feel it. Let it come into you. You'll get your chance to speak. And if it's not today, it'll be tomorrow. It'll be the next day. We have rooms almost every day. Come back and be with us. And now my wife and I look at each other after each room and we say, this is the most amazing thing we've ever seen. Because now the collective mind of our room Without even, we say it in the beginning that, you know, don't, you don't have to just jump. Like, let, we don't want you to fix people or change people or help people or do any of that because we want people to have that moment where they get to discover that moment where their question that has no answers becomes their answer that knows no questions. And when people get that chance to discover that on their own, there's such an incredibly beautiful feeling that comes. Why would we want to steal that from them by telling them what we think they should do? Yes. And what people may not know who have been on Clubhouse, there's a whole back channel with all the moderators. Yeah. With most of the rooms all clamoring to speak. And it steals the voices from everyone in the audience who wish to speak. You know, it just, it's, um, the app is really beautiful, I believe, because it does give voice to those that may not feel like they had a voice in the past, but only if we can acknowledge and listen to them. And the mods are always talking. It's just becomes like one big, you know, who can talk the most or the loudest. So yeah. I love the energy of your rooms. Now let's talk about the mosaic. So what inspired you to write it? So obviously you you were around a lot of authors. I think I read something even on your website, like I am not an author. Yeah, I, I didn't write it. I tried to write it, but I messed up. <laughs> so tell for those unfamiliar with the mosaic, share a little bit about what it's all about. And obviously we need to talk about the Kintsugi reference within it. So absolutely. Thank yeah, you. I'd love for you to share more about your work of art. I tried to write a different book. I tried to write a book called V2. It was the story about I guess really what, what I was happened is as I got older, I met so many people that got older with me. And they said, if I would only have known now 
then what I know now, I would have lived my life differently. And I said, I get that. I really do. I sometimes feel that too. So how are you living differently now, now that you know what you know now? And they say, oh, come on. Now we don't have the energy to do what we want to do. You know, we, we would have done that then. But, and I said, it's just beautiful story after story after story that keeps you from actually using the knowledge that you know. And I had nine steps of how you could do that. And I sent it to a person that was a friend of mine. She became my muse. And she said, Danny, the ideas are brilliant here. They're really, really good. But this isn't your book. And I said, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? Do you think I plagiarized it? Did I take it from somebody? She said, no, no, these are all original, fresh ideas. But you are a storyteller. You're not a self-help guy. Why are you writing a self-help book? You don't even believe in self-help. You don't believe people are broken. You don't believe people need to be fixed. You don't believe any of this. You tell stories. Why are you writing a book that fixes people? She said, very gently, very nicely, tear this up, throw it into the fireplace. I want you to write a story. So I'm a big burly guy, 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 you know? And yeah. I said, oh, I said jokingly, like, what do you want me to do? Write a fable? Is that what you think that I should do? <laughs> and she said, exactly. And I fought her for a minute and a half. I said, I'm not going to write a fable until I realized the beauty of a story is there is no teaching. It's a horizontal relationship. Self-help is vertical relationships. Yeah. Someone's broken, someone fixes it. Someone needs yeah. to be led, someone leads them. Someone tells them what to do. And I'll sell more books if I can make you feel like you're even more broken than you think you are. Exactly. Yeah. I wasn't concerned about selling books. I was concerned about leaving a legacy of what I believed into the world, if anybody cared to know. And what happened is this beautifully horizontal relationship happened. The Mosaic is a story about a boy who loses his parents, my story, two years apart on the same day. And when he asked the adults where his parents were, they told him they were in a place called heaven. So he set out in search of heaven, which for him was, what is the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? It wasn't like he was really looking for heaven. He was looking for, how did I lose my, my heroes? And if I lost my heroes, what am I supposed to do with my life? Because life is short. And the people that he met along the way were not the people that could answer those philosophical questions. You wouldn't think so. They were a trash man and a road worker, a street artist and a gardener, a juice man and a homeless woman, a blind man. And he just sat and spoke with them. He really sat and listened to them. And when he listened to them tell him their stories, Michael, in 100% of the cases, the person he saw was not anything even remotely like the person he approached. And what he saw was even more beautiful because when their trash man came to pick up the trash, Mo met him on a street corner. He had nothing in his pockets, nothing on his back. And the trash truck pulled up right beside him and said, do you have any trash for me? And Mo looked around and he, the street was immaculately clean. He had nothing on him. He had nothing carrying. He said, he was about to look at him and say, what are you crazy? And he looked at him and he caught a glimmer in the trash man's eye. And Mo realized he wasn't talking about physical trash. He was talking about emotional bullet trash. He was talking about limiting beliefs. He was talking about all the things that were keeping him from being the person he wanted to be. All the gunk in your backpack. All the gunk that's in your backpack that you carry with me, that I carry with me all every moment of every day. And, and Mo looked at him and said, oh my God, I was just about to call you crazy. But I have so much of that now, I don't know what to do. And the trash man said, it's okay. 
He got down off the trash truck. He took his trash cans and he put them out. He said, just put it all in here. And when Mo thought he was done, the trash man said, no, no, there's still more. Let's get it all out. And Mo said, I can't get that out by myself. The trash man said, I'll come and help you. Let's take all of it. You don't have to put it in the truck. We can keep it here. If you want to keep it, we'll just set it in the cans. I'll come and get it next week or I'll come and get it tomorrow. But I want you to have the experience of this experience. I want you to know for one moment what it's like to feel what you feel like without carrying all this stuff around. Yeah. To feel empty of all this trash. And then you decide, maybe you'll want it back. Maybe you won't. If you don't want it back, we'll throw it in the truck, grind it up and drive it off. There's nothing spiritual about that story. There's nothing religious about that story. It's what a trash man does. Mm -hmm. He takes everything we don't want and puts it in his truck and grinds it up and takes it away. Yeah. We don't understand that he could also take our thoughts, our beliefs, our limiting things. But the trash man's just a trash man. Yes. And what I realized is it doesn't matter what we do. When we do what we do with the love of our heart, because it's ours to do, we don't need to speak sermons. The way we live our life is our sermon. Amen to that. So can you share the story of Kintsugi? Yes. So in the mosaic, there's a story within it that is a beautiful story. And it's a Kintsugi story. There's a region in this land that has the finest potters that ever that live in the land. And every year, the, the land holds a major competition. It's the biggest competition of the land, the most prestigious award. And it's the, it's the award of who's going to make the most beautiful piece of pottery. Every year for hundreds of years, overrunning over and over and over again, because the best artisans, the best potters have always lived in this region or come to this region, this region has always won. And this year, like every other, they're going to win again. And the artisans bring the piece that they've created for the competition. That's the day after that evening, they bring it to the king. And the king looks at it, he's just as happy as could be. This is by far the nicest piece of pottery they've ever created. And as is his tradition, he hands it from one member of the royal family to another. And as he does so, the unthinkable happens. The piece slips out of the hands of one of the members of the royal family and shatters on the floor. The king is beside himself. He's distraught. He says to the artisans, do we have anything else that we can show? Can we bring something? We have the competitions tomorrow morning. I have to go there. What are we going to show? And they said, nothing's going to compare to what we did. We put all of our energy into this piece. You just have to go and just tell them what happened. And the king said, well, I'll be humiliated and embarrassed and ashamed. All the other regions have for hundreds of years tried to, tried to win this award from us. If we show up with nothing to show, they're going to ridicule us and make fun of us. And they're going to win the prize. And they said, we don't know what to tell you. There's nothing we have. The king goes to his room and he cries through the night. He comes down in the morning, gets on his chariot. And as he's getting on his chariot, a little old man says, I have to see the king. I have to see the king. The guardsmen say, little old man, you're not going to, the, the king has a no, no way to, wants to see you. He's distraught. This is not a good time. You Go away, little, little old man. The old man says, I have to see the king. And somehow the king hears his voice. 
And he says to the guardsman, it's okay, what do I have to lose? Old man, come here. The old man comes and he says, why is it so important that you see me? And the old man hands him a box. He said, king, please open the box. The king opens the box and to his amazement, he sees that piece that had just laid shattered on the floor the night before, put together with the beautiful glue of gold, the kintsugi glue of gold. And he looks at this beautiful vase now and this beautiful piece of pottery. And he said, I thought it was beautiful before, but now it's far more beautiful. It's brokenness makes it more beautiful. Something interesting happened with that story. Somebody heard me on Clubhouse. Mm-hmm. And they, they saw that I had, the mosaic was an audio book. They liked my voice. Yes. Like you mentioned that you like my voice. And he bought the mosaic on audible, on audio from Amazon or Audible, whichever place he got it. It takes three hours to hear the story. He listened front to end, beginning to end. 20 minutes later, he found my phone number and he called me up and he said, I've got to talk to you. I said, okay, great. You have me. What do you want to say? And he said, I don't know. We just have to do something together. I said, I love that. I love the idea. Tell me what is your thinking and tell me who you are. And he turns out he's a really well-known artist in the Florida area. He does limited edition paintings that sell. His name is Mark V. He does limited edition paintings itself for $50,000 to $75,000. He's made a piece for the George Floyd Museum in, at Ohio State University that they'll use called the 46 Please. He has 10 pieces in the Bob Marley Museum in Jamaica. He's doing a, a collection of heroes of Jamaica, people that nobody knew even existed that are the heroes of Jamaica and made this beautiful art collection. We thought we were going to do something. And a week later, he called me. He said, no, I want to do something different. We'll do that later. Let's do this now. And I said, what is that? He said, I want to create an NFT. Mm. I had no idea what an NFT was. <laughs> I, I, I said, okay. I said, I, you know, tell me what that is. And so he told me it's a non-fungible token, which meant nothing to me. I had no idea what that was either. I've been involved with it now for about a month and a half. I still have let, no idea what they really are. But he wanted to create that Kintsugi story. He wanted to get a sphere and he wanted to paint it. And then he wanted to take a, fa a camera that would run in fast motion and take 10 hours of painting and speed it up. Mm. So you got that whole thing happening within about 20 or 30 seconds. And then he's gonna get a slow motion camera that watches that, that piece now once it's completed, shatter onto the floor in super slow motion so that you just yes. wanna reach out and go, no, no, yeah. it, can't, it can't happen. And then the last 20 seconds will be it coming back together and be putting together with this glue of gold, Kintsugi. What he said to me is, Danny, that's the story of humanity. We all are made into this beautiful piece of work. And then something happens and we shatter. And we think our life is over. But our life isn't over. When we're put back together, we're more beautiful because we understand the suffering and the pain of humanity. I told that story in a clubhouse room and this woman said, I want to be a part of this. And I said, what, tell me, how you, what, what do you want to do? And she's this absolutely gorgeous musician. She, she will be, she, her name is Ilana Lorraine. She will be a number one recording artist in the world. Her music is that good. And I said, well, what do you want to do? She said, I want to write a song for it. 
So we have this really well-known artist. We have this really well-known music, really, really beautiful musician. So we're, it's the first time that an NFT will encompass publishing, art, music. And then my wife is a, is a world-class healer. And she's going to infuse the whole NFT with healing power so that anybody that hears it and listens to it will be will feel healing from it. So we're going to have publishing, art, music, and healing and film in a one minute in a one minute presentation of six or ten hours of us working together. And it's going to be the most beautiful thing I've we've ever created. It sounds gorgeous. And it's Kintsugi. It's Kintsugi. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, my journey with it, many, many people know, is I have plenty of, um, plenty of scars on this body of mine. And I used to try to hide them away because I thought they were signs of weakness that I was broken. And these are obviously physical, but we all have the emotional scars as well. Yes. To the garbage man, we can look the trash man. And my youngest daughter, through her innocent eyes, when she was about eight, she was playing with my scars. And I was like, what do you think? She's like, I think they're cool. And <laughs> from, and I was like, well, she can think they're cool. What's stopping me from thinking that they can be cool? And I also spent most of my corporate life at a Japanese company. It was around that same time, the whole concept of Kintsugi was introduced to me. There are no coincidences, right? So um, I was like, ah, that concept. And now that the concept of Kintsugi allowed me to step in and realize that all my scars were badges of honor and resilience and yeah. strength that, yeah, I was broken. I broke, but I've been put back together more beautifully, as we all are. So, and I think as we all are going through this moment in time, as we've traveled together over the last 15 months through the pandemic, that we have a few scars and blemishes and wrinkles and chips, if you will, but we can be put back together more beautifully. Yeah, it's so interesting because when I, when I wrote the mosaic, the story is what I told you, but there's another story in the spaces between the words that most people don't know. And yet when you look at a book, you see words and you see space. The space actually makes the words have value, but the words also make the space have value. And one of the stories that the spaces between the words say is when you look at a mosaic, its pieces are broken and shattered. Yes. Some of them are whole, some of them are big, some of them are small, but no one's greater or lesser than anybody else. They're all different colors, all different shapes, all different sizes, all different senses of brokenness or, or, or whole. But they all come together to create this beautiful artistry that's called a mosaic. And if art can understand Kintsugi, if art can understand mosaic, surely the human race can understand it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any... Final advice to those listening, anything you wish to share with them that you haven't so far? Yeah. The biggest Kintsugi job we can do is the one on ourselves. Yes. 
instead of seeing all the things that are wrong with us, that story you told of your daughter looking at your scars really touched me because we all have scars. Yes. Most of them are not on our bodies and it's physical, but we all, we all have been hurt by pains and sufferings that we've gone through in life that make us want to wall up and protect ourselves so that nobody can see it. But remember what my beloved said to me, that right on the other side of that wall is the answer to everything you've ever prayed for. Yep. That is true. If we could just allow ourselves to feel safe enough to drop those walls and receive the multiple blessings that are coming to us, we would not even be the same person we are now. It would be that we'd be unrecognizable to the eyes that we see ourselves in. Beautiful. So just celebrate and do that. Beautiful. Well, I think we'll end on that note. Thank you. Because that's a beautiful note to end on. And that's part of our work. That's part of our emotional labor that's in front of us. Thank you, Danny, for sharing you with our audience. Thank you for sharing the mosaic with all of us as well. I so appreciate you, Michael. And thank you so much for having me here and giving me the opportunity just to be with you and the people that listen to you a little bit more. Thank you. Love you. Love you right back. Hey there, it's Michael. I'm back. Isn't he a mensch? Ah, I just love Danny. I love his voice, but more importantly, I love what he shares with his voice. His words matter, there's no doubt. But when you are with him, whether it's on Clubhouse or through a podcast like this, you just feel his love, his sense of calm, and you also feel hurt. And right now, we need more love and more belonging. And one way to enhance the spirit of belonging or the act of belonging is to make sure that people feel heard and seen. And Danny is a beautiful role model for how to do it today. So I hope you'll check him out, follow him on social media, join Clubhouse and sit in a few of his rooms and get his book, The Mosaic. And again, as I mentioned up front, get it in Audible so you can hear Danny's voice and you can hear more about the story of Kintsugi that he writes about in The Mosaic. I'll include all the different ways to get in contact with Danny in the show notes as always, thanks for listening to the Kintsugi Podcast. Thanks for listening to this conversation about resilience. I always love it when you subscribe and leave a comment or just share this interview with your Peloton. So until next week in our next conversation about resilience, remember to pause, breathe, and reflect. And of course, have fun storming the castle. We'll talk to you then. <laughs>